and it uh, has to do with the backdrop of course is not the king reflection and this has come, comes out of Isaiah the uh, sixth chapter and I read from a little bit I read it from the King James And then sixth chapter. Okay. Start with Okay, and then sixth chapter. In the year that King Hosea died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. I and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. Each twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved and the voice of him cried and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then threw one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongue to morph, with the tongue to morph the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin perfect. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Hit my and me said, Go tell this people. I want I want to note something. If you if you look at newer translation, you'll never see the word spelled seraphims with a, with an S. It's rarely seraphim. Plural in Hebrew, even modern Hebrew, sounds like our oh, H-I-M, him. There's two kinds of, of them, of this him, and it's, there's no S, it's him. They're plural in him. If you want to make a word plural, you, you end it with a him. For instance, the singular of seraphim is seraph. 
Well, if you want to yeah. make it more than one, is seraphim. Seraph, seraphim. So you don't need the S there. So you've seen uh, newer translations don't have the S there because it's a rather plural. In fact, it is related to Elohim. See, it's El, Elohim. Because there's a plural of, we call it, uh, we used to call it, you know, when I was in grammar school, we used to call it the plural of majesty. That's why kings and queens and monarchs and all the people always refer to themselves in the plural. Uh, so, so that's why we have Elohim. It doesn't make it more than one door. It's just the terms of majesty, plural, that is used. The first five chapters of, and, and, and we're going to move right along. First five chapters of, of, of Isaiah is really an introduction to the entire book. You say, well, why would it take five chapters to introduce uh, this book? Well, uh, you may have heard me say many years ago, this, this book of Isaiah is like a, is like a prodigious, uh, symphony creation. It's, uh, man, I'm telling you, if you, most of it is poetry and, uh, and, and, and majestic poetry and, I mean, there's areas, there's movements, there's, oh boy, different sections playing at one time or the other, or playing to God. It's like a symphony. A lot of the scriptures like that. The King James captured a lot of it, a lot of it. I love the, the powerful poetic values of the book. Ah, in fact, starting from verse 10 or so, verse uh, half of verse 9, going to verse 10, that's all poetry. That's all poetry when God is speaking to Isaiah. Amen. Majestic poetry. Uh, and, you know. Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of the people fact. Hebrew poetry is not so much for rhyming, but it's the stanza, the, 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 the melodic uh, way of expression is, oh, it's just, it's just, it's just enthralling. But let me, let me move on quickly. Uh, some of this I'm sure you know already. Uh, Isaiah, we know, was an aristocrat. You should, you want to call that. He had great, uh, connection. He was related to Isaiah and many other the royal people. He had a charm given, uh, position in the temple where he with his majestic robe and I imagine all kinds of other things and so forth minister to the people in the usual ritual way. And for the most part, if we can read from the text, tell them what they want to hear. 
That's why he said, oh, woe unto me. I haven't been really telling the people what I should be telling them. Matter of fact, I ought not to be in this cozy place. Here I am, I'm ready now. I move now to go and do what you really want me to do. Oh, Dr. King, I've been one of the finest education you could ever have. Sent to a church that you could have just settled in there and just have a comfortable life and perhaps having a nice parsonage, giving a car and this and all that. But that was not what God really struck him and called him to do. So that's why every time I talk about this, and I talk about this a few times over the years, I always like to just use that phrase, here I am, send me. Because when God convinces you, and you you knew all along, this is a point that I want to make about Isaiah this afternoon, this one point. The point about Isaiah here is not his calling and some of the things that I just told you about. Is that he knew all along that's not what God really called him about. And it's interesting because when I've done the exegesis of this parochopy, parochopy over the years, it is so clear that when you look at biblical call narrative, there is a, there is a, 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 a formula, so to speak, about when God calls people to do particular ministries. It comes up in the case of Moses, it comes up in many other people's cases, uh, many other great prophets and minor prophets uh, call them. And one of it, of course, is something very spectacular, something unexplainable, something supernatural. The seraphim were supernatural beings. They had to have gotten Isaiah's attention. The whole sanctuary was filled with the long flowing robe of God and it fell its train. It felt, you know, a train like, uh, you probably heard this before, it's like a wedding, yes. Uh, you know, the, the train, the thing that flowed in the wedding dress. And you're seeing pictures of kings and queens with their train, with their flowing robe flowing behind them. Wow, God is in the temple and he's on his throne. And the supernatural things are flying all over the place. Six wings. Ah. Two of them covering his feet, two of them covering his feet, two of them flying. Two of the wings, and the one cried to another, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. So that part of the call narrative is clear. 
There is the bush that is burning but not consumed. I mean, it happens. This epiphany happens in Call Niagara. Something hurt shaking, something supernatural that would catch your attention. But there is a, 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 a in most call narrative, there comes up a time when the person whose attention is bought start to have some doubt and start to question God and start to make excuses. But in Isaiah, we don't see that. By the way, he said, boy, I see this door moving, this temple filled with smoke. Whoa! God! I'm undone. That's it. It just as might as well just kill me. No! He ain't going to kill you. He wants you to fulfill what you promised him that you would do where you were for it. God. You need a new language in terms of speaking what it is asking you to do and what to address. Go out in the highways and the byways. Seek those who need to hear that I am a compassionate God. That I love everybody. And I want people to be blessed, healed, and restored and saved. So, is that, are you going to go? God could hardly finish saying that he said, yes. Here I am. I'm ready to send you. There's nothing more. And Martin Luther King Jr. has said this many times. There's nothing, nothing, nothing more powerful than an idea that has come to be. Nothing more, nothing more powerful and when the time is right and the realization come upon people, what it is that God really wants them to do. Not what they think, not what they like, not what they, not, not, you know, we all do it. We all tell ourselves all kinds of things, but when it comes to that point, nothing greater than the idea whose time has come. Nothing greater than a conviction whose time has come. Nothing more powerful than a conviction that really makes you accept what it is God wants you to do. When I was a young boy, was living in a place where there was apartheid practices. It's all, it's a lot of been written about it now. Still many people don't understand. You know, even 
some of us from the South have never really experienced it in the way in which people in South Africa and people all over the world, people in India, have been ostracized. Our indigenous Native Americans that we call Indians forced to live in reservations in dire poverty, all hope taken away from them. Apartheid is, is, is really another form of horrible slavery. And most of us have led to a great prejudice and so forth. But we have not really lived through apartheid in the sense that we were kept separate to such an extent that we couldn't even look at the other person in the eye like we were in the time of slavery. So I lived in this place for a little while. And every now and then I would walk past a church. I couldn't enter that church. Matter of fact, I couldn't even stand up in front of that church. I would be probably arrested even as a kid for trespassing. God forbid if I would look at the people. Somebody may have accused me of something. But many, many years ago, when I was a student in seminary, I got this call. And this call was, this is after that apartheid situation had ended, this call was to go to be the pastor of this same church that I could not enter into when I was the king. And I didn't have to think about it too well. To me, it was kind of wonderful but ridiculous at the same time. That's not what God called me for to have in some way some satisfaction or revenge that I could say, well, you see, they kept me out, but now God has put me in. No. How ineffective that ministry would be because it was not based on what I was convinced that God had called me for. So these kind of things are humanly possible, and they happen all the time. No, 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 no big church on the hill. It's literally on the hill. It's still the other day. I can tell you more about it another time, but the point I'm trying to make here, there's nothing more important than an idea whose time would come. And once God has called you into it and you have accepted and you realize this is what he really called you for, then you go forward and you never look back. And that's what Isaiah did. Oh, I thank God for listening for you listening to me today. I, I think I just probably kept you a little longer today than normal, but well, thank God for you and 
what I'm going to do now is to, I, I want to hear from folks. I want to hear from folks. 